So I first attended this church, my first UU church ever, um, about six months ago. And um, we read the mission statement, as we always do at the beginning. And I thought, as we were reading that, this is exactly what I believe. I felt right at home. I had followed a rather renunciate path for about 45 years. Um, I thought that the more that I meditated, the closer I would get to enlightenment. Now, don't get me wrong. I still practice meditation. I still think it's a good thing, but I carried it to an extreme. And I, looking back on it now, I think I used meditation as an escape from life, going on like three-month retreats and maintaining silence for an entire month. Um, so UU seemed like it was very life-affirming. Some of the key words in the mission statement that I was attracted to, celebrate, welcome, embrace. I was really moved by these words, and I'm sure that some of you out there wrote this mission statement, um, and I want to thank you for it. And then it took me about a month before I saw the back of the order of service <laughs> and realized, oh, there are principles to UU as well. And then when I read those, again, I said, oh, these make so much sense. This is exactly what I believe. They make rational sense to me. And at the same time, they were pulling at my heart. So I've heard since I've been here often that UUs are rational. And I agree, but I think it's more than that. Not only do they value rationality, but they also value spirituality and emotions and relationship. So a little history lesson. Since about the, uh, in, uh, the 18th century, during the Enlightenment, Western culture has gradually divided itself more and more with science on one side and religion on the other. Rationality on one side, spiritual experience on the other. If you value one, you tend to reject the other. It's gotten to the point where people are afraid to talk about their spiritual experiences these days, or their visions, or even psychic experiences. Let's go back a little bit further than the Enlightenment. When we consider Western culture, we usually consider that it began in ancient Greece. And one of its greatest philosophers was Socrates. Do you know how Socrates made decisions? He actually talked about this several times. A deity whispered in his ear. Such a rational person as Socrates was not afraid to speak about voices he heard. So why are we afraid to do this today? This morning, I'd like to examine ways in which rationality and deep inner metaphysical and mystical experiences can and do exist together. And I'm going to do this by introducing a term, philosophical pragmatism. So pragmatism may seem like an unlikely place to begin a discussion about belief. What do we normally associate pragmatism with? The business decisions, hard-nosed realism. Let me offer a simple definition. We engage in philosophical pragmatism when we look for the meaning of a proposition or belief by examining its practical consequences. Let me give you an example. What if I said there was a Messiah in this room? <laughs> what if 
you thought you might be the Messiah, or maybe not even going that far. What if there's just goodness in the people around you? What if you believed in your own goodness? Keeping that in mind, let me read the definition again. We engage in philosophical pragmatism when we look for the meaning of a proposition or belief by examining its practical consequences. And meaning is a key word here. The question is not what can this belief bring to me materially, but how can this belief enhance the meaning of my life? And I'm going to say that finding meaning is practical because this is ultimately why we're here. It's to find deep meaning in whatever we do on a daily basis. So I'd like to bring to the forefront two points um, about philosophical pragmatism. One is that it gives us the freedom to experiment with belief. We can try a belief on. If, it doesn't, if it's not helpful, throw it out. Try something else. And also that truth is not an objective reality. Truth is actually created by our beliefs. It may be different for different people, for different cultures, for different religions. And it may be different depending on what we're trying to accomplish. So as I'm using the word truth here, it's different from fact. So a fact may be how many people show up for a particular event, say an, an inauguration. <laughs> truth, <laughs> truth, on the other hand, is much deeper. It's tied to, to meaning and significance. Now, um, people have been sharing this month about what they believe, and I'd like to go back to something that Barbara shared. She said that she believes in humor, so she's already using this um, pragmatism because it leads, what, what humor leads to, and one of those things is health. And she used the example of Norman Cousins. Okay, so let's put out belief number one. Norman Cousins was told he had a certain amount of time left to live, and you probably know people who have been given this kind of verdict. Science believes strongly in the power of prediction through statistics, and this is very valid. However, there might be other valid ways of looking at it. Let's put out belief number two. Norman Cousins decided that he was going to experiment with, with this prediction and try to live a little bit longer or maybe have the disease completely disappear. And he had noticed that when he laughed, his pain went away. In fact, very precisely, when he laughed, his pain went away for two hours. So his wife helped him with this, and if he woke up in the middle of the night in pain, they would pull out an old movie, funny movie, or an old uh, rerun of Candid Camera, and he would laugh and the pain would go away. So due to Cousins' experiments and other bold experimenters, our beliefs about health are changing, and we have something called alternative medicine. Um, or integrative medicine. Don't throw away the old, but let's add the new. In medical websites now, you can see that they'll suggest different medicines, and then they'll say, and if that doesn't work, or in addition to that, try yoga, you know, try meditating. Make sure that you have supportive relationships in your life. Try laughter yoga. I don't know if that's on a website, <laughs> on a medical website, but, but you know, that was, that was designed by a medical doctor from India. Um, so William James is the first one who introduced this idea of philosophical pragmatism. Let me tell you a little bit about who William James was. He was an American. Um, he lived 
in um, the 19th century, later 19th century, into the very early 20th century. He died in 1910. He was trained as a physician, um, then became a psychologist, and finally a philosopher. He was born into an intellectual and spiritual family, and as a result of this, he was exposed to many intellectuals of his day. In fact, Ralph Waldo Emerson was his godfather. He um, debated in his home with people such as John Dewey, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Mark Twain, Sigmund Freud, and many others. And his legacy lives on to this day. He has been called the father of modern psychology. There's some argument about who the real father is, but he's one of them. Um, and he's influenced many people, including um, one that I recently learned about, Jimmy Carter. So um, he's written many books, and I'd like to talk about two of these books today because I want to tie together spiritual experience with pragmatism. One book is called The Varieties of Religious Experience, and the other book is called Pragmatism. In the varieties of religious experience, James looked at a variety <laughs> of religious experiences, but particularly um, deep mystical experiences, experiences that happened uh, on an individual basis. And I was attracted to this because uh, my own experiences have given meaning to my life. Even since I was a child, I had some very, what I consider profound experiences, and I'm sure that many of you have as well. And I spent a couple of years researching people's mystical experiences. And two of the experiences that came up over and over again were um, the experience of a feeling of unity, um, suddenly feeling like you were one with everything and everything was one, and also um, an experience of intense love for those around the person or even just for nature. And these experiences were life-changing. In fact, the people that I interviewed were actually so grateful that I was asking them questions about their experiences because they said they normally didn't share these kinds of things. But they said they didn't know where they came from. It was almost like they came out of the blue. Sometimes even in the middle of the night, somebody would wake up with this experience. So they didn't know how to get there again. It's all very mysterious. There is no proof even that this experience was real. So William James thought that we need to be able to explain these experiences. And he says that we, we seek explanation by creating beliefs. And that this is a valid use of rationality. We're not just making things up. We're using our mind to understand our heart. He coined the term overbelief. This is a belief we adopt that we can't prove with outer evidence. Overbeliefs are justified by our emotional need to make sense of spiritual experience. So here again, we're bringing together the rational, the spiritual, and the emotional. So let me read his statement again. Overbeliefs are justified by our emotional need to make sense of spiritual experience. So the second book by James I'd like to talk about is Pragmatism. Now, not all beliefs are good. Beliefs are valid when they're helpful to ourselves and to a society. So it's like we can apply a little test to our beliefs when we consider what the practical effects of our beliefs are. 
consider religious arguments. And this refers to what Kiera read, um, which was from the book um, Pragmatism. So we can have a we can have arguments about religion, and they can go on and on. There's really no resolution. I believe in one God. You believe in many gods. I believe in reincarnation. You might believe in heaven and hell. My favorite is from the Middle Ages. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Um, and this was a serious discussion they were having. So let's look to a, another culture about uh, and, and consider pragmatism from another point of view. Um, the Buddha might be considered the first philosophical pragmatist. He had no patience with these kinds of questions. People would come to him and they say, how was the world created? How, how long have we been around? How long is existence going to go on? And the Buddha would say, these are not important questions. Okay, Here's what we know. We're here. We know that we suffer. So let's just deal with that. So let's look now at how pragmatism might be applied to societal beliefs with an example. So let's, let's compare two different ways of looking at how should we deal with crime. So we in the U.S. and in, in most societies believe that criminals should be punished. And this is tied into our religious beliefs. You know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But we have tried this experiment for millennia. And where has it gotten us? If you look at the uh, National Institute of Justice, their research shows that punishment does not actually deter crime. So let's try another belief. We believe that criminals need a supportive environment, an education, or job training. We believe that they need to uh, develop a sense of self-worth. Now, programs that focus on rehabilitation have had excellent results. And interestingly, we can find this in, in scripture too. We don't have to throw out our scriptures. It's just a matter of what we want to choose to emphasize because you'll see compassion in scriptures around the world. So let me relate a story that might help us to understand philosophical pragmatism a little better. I had a friend, his name is Benny, and when he was in high school, he had a personal relationship. He had an experience, really, of Jesus. And this took him into a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, Benny was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. And one problem I see with uh, religion is that it gives you the interpretation of your experience. So you don't have to search for your own answers. And it kind of gives you a whole set of dogma. And one of, that, one of those beliefs that Benny took on was that the Bible is infallible because it, it was inspired by God. So Benny was so um, moved by this, his experience with Jesus that he went on to seminary. And then from there he went on to get a Ph.D. He studied languages and the formation of biblical literature. Whoa, was that a rude awakening? Because what he learned is how all of these, how, first of all, how there's inconsistencies within the Bible, but also there have been additions as late as the Middle Ages. So this was a crisis for Benny. He said, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> oh my Shiva, whatever. Humans have created the Bible. And I put this in my notes in quotes because I remember him saying this very, very clearly. And I thought my experience with Jesus was real. 
So he took on a new belief system. Don't trust spiritual experiences, trust intellectual inquiry, and trust science. And his argument was very pragmatic. How is religion going to help you build a bridge? So Benny argued for the pragmatism of engineering, but not for the pragmatism of finding meaning through inner experiences and beliefs. Why can't we do both? Why can't both be true? There are kind of different types of questions we have here, but both are valid. How do I build a bridge? Why am I here? So they have different types of answers. And let's, let's look at the idea, what if Benny had been raised as a Hindu? Perhaps he would have had a personal experience with Krishna. Krishna loves me. I love Krishna. It's giving meaning to my life. But isn't the real key here the experience of loving and being loved, not the religious garb that it's clothed in? It's not my God versus your God. Talk about pragmatism. Think about the practical consequences of accepting multiple truths or multiple gods alone. We probably would have no more wars over religion. William James was treading new territory when he tied personal experience to pragmatic truth. So it might be interesting to explore what his personal conclusions were. What seemed most pragmatic in the end to William James? He concluded that pluralistic theism, what we might call polytheism, was more pragmatic than monotheism. Monotheism, together with its once-and-for-all creation story, deadens our sense of agency because we must accept what's already been given to us. James also believed that this world is too complex, too chaotic to justify a belief in a final creation by a single God. And he believed that the world of spirit must be as chaotic and complex and creative as this physical world. William James was very expansive in his thinking. He posited a multiverse rather than a universe. Now, keep in mind that this was the 19th century, and now they're talking about alternate universes. Melissa spoke just a couple of weeks ago about antimatter, dark matter, and the fact that what we see and hear probably only represents about 5% of reality. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes talking about what I believe, because everybody has been doing this throughout the month. Um, but I also want to explore the practical consequences of my beliefs, and they actually coincide somewhat with William James's beliefs. So if they seem strange, remember that theoretical science is weirder than any of these beliefs. I believe the world of spirit is full of constant creativity and expansion. That's the world of spirit. If we just look at this physical world alone, there is so much variety that it can just blow our minds. I love watching the PBS nature shows. The creatures on land and sea and their interactions are so vast and complex. The varieties that exist in the ocean alone um, saw one recently where there was this little uh, 
kind of bumpy yellow fish, and he was not symmetrical at all. He was like, you know, uneven. He had things sticking out on one side and not the other. Um, and he would hang out in the, the yellow sponge coral. Very practical. He could get his dinner very easily because he would be very still, and he looked exactly like the coral there, and then the little fish would get closer and closer to him. When we consider belief, we have to let our imaginations roam far beyond the human to the realm of nature, the stars, curved time, space, and antimatter. Because the complexity of physical reality that we see and hear, besides all of that, we also know that there are energies that we cannot see and hear. There's energy from the moon, from the sun. There's energies like electricity that we just take for granted, but they have real-world effects. There's the energy of emotion, energy of thoughts, which can bring about peace and harmony or can bring about chaos. And we don't even know what thoughts are. We don't know where they come from. We don't know where they go. I believe that thoughts are extremely powerful and that we influence one another, not just through our words and actions, but also through our thoughts. Even dogs have mental telepathy. Um, how many dog owners out here? <laughs> have you ever experienced that when you come home, your dog knows it, you know, they're, they're right there? Now, we might think this is habit, okay? We come home the same time every day, and the dog is ready for it. But a biologist, Rupert Sheldrick, conducted a study in which he asked dog owners to come home at random times. He didn't know when they were coming home either, but he would put cameras in the homes, okay? So nobody was there, just the dog. And he, to he told the dog owners, make note of when you decide you're going to go home. And it turned out that as soon as the owner thought, I'm going to go home now, the dog went to the window. He wrote a whole book about this study. I believe that all creatures and plants and energies are interdependent. Nothing exists in isolation. This goes very nicely with you, you beliefs. And what sense does it, does it make to believe in one God who created this, all this wonderful complexity and then who exists separate from it? I believe God or super energy or love energy or force, whatever you want to call it, is right here within all of this complexity. So the pragmatic value, as I see it, of believing in a multiverse with creative and interdependent forces, whether those are material or energetic or spiritual, is that everything in this universe matters. This is the multiverse, I think, that Rumi calls us to celebrate. I believe the world is not finished yet and perhaps never will be finished. We each have a voice in how it goes forward. We all co-create this fantastic script. I believe there's a practical benefit to being excited about life. When we're excited about life, we want to protect it. We want to help others, and we want to get up in the morning and embrace the day. My life matters. Your life matters. The snail's life matters. The earth's life matters. And I'll just close now with Rumi's words. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, yet again, come, come. <laughs>